Hey Chris, how are you yes. doing? Good, Sid. How are you? Great. So we are here for our second uh, episode of the podcast, Conway is Con. And um, since the first episode, COVID nineteen has happened. <laughs> uh, putting putting it lightly. <laughs> when was when when was our last episode? I, I think our episode, our first episode, happened somewhere around. Wow, wait, four nineteen? No, that was a long while ago. This uh, our first episode was recorded on two twenty six, the twenty sixth. That's a long time. Yeah, so um, I guess this is a every two months sort of a deal until we get it together. <laughs> well, hopefully, <laughs> but since then we have gotten it uploaded to um, Apple Podcast. We have gotten it Yay! uploaded to Spotify, even though they didn't uh, download the art for the podcast. We came up with a logo, so there's that. Yep. Um. So yeah, excited to do this this next one. Awesome. I know we wanted to talk about uh, configuration management, but uh, quickly, uh, is there anything we want to talk about uh, on general DevOps side of things before we jump into directly into configuration management? Mm. No, but maybe we could um, do a brief segment where we talk about anything new that we're playing with before getting into the main subject. Cool. What's, is there something new playing with? Of course, I think the big change that has happened since uh, we last did this was that we were we introduced cloud formation into our uh, work stuff, and so that was that's a big change that's happened. Oh yeah, uh, right. That was which, a which, uh, a nearly heretical change, <laughs> which which kind of plays well into the stuff we're going to talk about today, like configuration management. My views of configuration management have changed. Um, right. So, cloud formation. Anything new that we've uh, introduced in the meanwhile? Um, I do want to talk about what I'm playing with. Oh, what what are you playing with? It was that thing that I sent you uh, earlier today. Uh, Project Gemini. Uh, yeah, Project Gemini. Um, it's a it's a new protocol. Um, it's somewhere between Gopher and and the web. So it's all text-based, but it can do hyperlinks, whereas Gopher couldn't. Um, it's TLS only. So I just think it's neat because um, it's a whole new community to explore that hasn't been messed up yet. <laughs> so I've um, learned how to get um, Gemini clients set up. And I'm learning how to navigate in there, and I'm starting to find sites and see what's out there. It's like the early uh, web. Project Gemini, oh, something else came up when I do Project Gemini. That's uh, I preached to the moon. Um, I never actually played or used. I think I came close to trying out uh, Gopher, but it never panned out. I started with. Uh, I think early days when I first got onto the internet, I came through BB. Oh man, I forgot even what it's called. Uh, bulletin boards, yeah, mm. BBS. Uh, a modem, fifty-four k, bulletin boards, yeah, fifty-four hours, BBS, uh, NNTP, doing a lot of NNTP, Max, 
uh, but never never really got into gopher uh, I, I never did either but uh, oh. i i did research it and talk about it on my other podcast oh you did uh, i even remember using uucp for email oh wow that's, that's yeah <laughs> uh yeah of course uh maybe a couple of times uucp but never actually for a, for a demonstration i think but not not never actually ended up using her email thank heavens well now that we've uh, severely dated ourselves <laughs> uh, we've come a long way since then to where we are now and where but, we are yeah. now is a, a talk about configuration management so before we get on the uh, gemini so um how do you how do you intend to use it or what, what do you think of the use cases i don't know it's um it's not meant to replace either gopher or it's not meant to 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 replace the web um yeah. it, it's just neat yeah I, I don't i'm not looking for any use cases i just um like the idea that there's something new that's not the web and it's active and there's a community and it looks fun to explore on the topic of new things um I don't know if you if you if you heard of uh, this person Jessica Frizel. I haven't. She was she used to work at Docker. Uh, then I, I think she started off with Docker, then went to Google, then went to Microsoft, and then now and then took a break for a while. She was not she was she's she did some amazing Docker work, Docker C work. I think a lot of the security that is in Docker is uh, came from Jessica Frizel. Now she's she and a few others, uh, and a few others notably from Sun Microsystems, uh, and her have joined together to start a company called Oxide. Your company, Oxide. Oxide. Oxide Computer. Uh, and what they want to do is um, build hardware and software. Build, build hardware, primarily server, server hardware and software for um, for people who still want to build their own uh, server hardware and so on. How neat. Which, uh, yeah, I'm uh, so excited. I wish there was a way I could join this uh, thing. Amazing. Uh, I mean, I, it sounds very interesting. And I, Jessica is a very, what do you call it, a nerdy, geeky person who's like, uh, uh, Jessica runs, I think, her entire system on Docker, which means <laughs> all of the software, like every single software, is uh, started as a as a container. Is running in it. That's nuts. Yeah, uh, um, and uh, yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, so this is this is this is interesting. This is cute. Um, and this this got got me thinking about like I mean, there's there's some work happening. Like for example, Amazon has introduced M sixes, which are like their graviton uh, processor instance, uh, uh, which are based on I think ARM processors. So I'm, I'm I'm curious about not just curious, but I'm 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 hoping there's a way I can set up like an IBM ARM CPU. Hmm. There doesn't seem to be any any anything that that'll help me do that as of today. Uh, I've looked around, but there doesn't seem to be. I think there's maybe one. PC powered, Windows powered PC that's out there. Um, but yeah, so that I would like to 
but yeah, that's that's uh, <coughs> that's uh, that's that's the new stuff. That the interesting stuff that I've been. Cool, cool. On. Yeah. All right. Um, before we jump into our configuration management, how are you doing otherwise? Like the whole COVID situation. Pretty good here. Um, I'm with my girlfriend and we're getting along well. Um, I'm finally getting along with the dog. And uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've gotten into the swing of cohabitation. So um, cool. how about you? I think made us move to the country. And so we just recently planted our garden. We'll see how that goes. Uh, uh, weirdly, it's, I mean, uh, the biggest thing I'm seems to my worry be like, how do I get a proper ergonomic workstation set up? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I'm spending so much time. <sighs> anyway, right, so on to our, um, on to our main topic of this week configuration management. Let's, as- let's assume that we could have somebody listening that doesn't know what configuration management is. So, right. configuration, so configuration? management. Good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> configuration management software is a way of maintaining the state of servers, um, of, of servers that you have running in an infrastructure. So, if you want um, to have 10 web servers running all with the exact same configuration, uh, that you can set up in an automated fashion. Um, you would use configuration management software to do it, and it would say through some domain-specific language, install Nginx, install Ruby or PHP or whatever else, um, make these config files this, set these users to this. And there are various um, different configuration management systems, and they all kind of do the same thing. At least that's traditional configuration management systems. How did how do you think we came about this? Because I remember, I mean, when we first started building systems, we were using CDs. I mean, there were images of software, well, images primarily of the OS, and then uh, we would install the OS on the server, for example. And then you would then manually go install it on each other servers. At least oh. that's how I started. And if you were in a Red Hat environment, you could probably do something like uh, like Kickstart. Yep. <coughs> um, which would then kick off um, OS. And then I suppose you could, if you knew how to program your Kickstart, you could install additional software. I would imagine... Kickstart. I would imagine that somebody started off with just a set of bash scripts to um, run their common tasks and want to make something better. So somebody probably scratched their own inch. And um, I know CF Engine was one of the really early ones. I uh, When I... Yeah, I mean, for the most part, like until... 2012. I mean, I've, I've gone through different roles in my life, and 
I didn't know what configuration management was until 12, for example. And then when I came in for a job, um, there was all sorts of different, different configuration management software. And I think I applied to Columbia University to at that point still. They were using CM. In 2012? In 2012. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's that, that's like using CVS in 2012. <laughs> I'm and, sure there are people. I'm, and how I'm was that? Sure. Well, luckily, I uh, I I didn't make it through that uh, interview, so I never I never got a job. So I, I I guess I'm lucky. And 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 out of the many interviews that I ended up doing, I ended up going to a place which was doing Ansible. So. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So. That was good. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, see with the history of software uh, configuration management. Like history is coming, can be traced back to as early as 1950. Oh, interesting. 1950s. Wow. Uh, so mainframes. Yeah, early software had a physical footprint such as card tapes and other media. The first software configuration management was a manual operation. Huh. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, 1950s, I thought it would be much more recent, but no, uh, obviously, uh, yeah. Um, so, so which, which ones have you used and are you the most fami- familiar with? I've, I think I've been lucky or fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you see it. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have used nearly all of the major configuration management software. So, Chef, Puppet. Um, I, I I think I've heavily used Ansible definitely. Like, I spent a lot of my time working with entirely on Ansible. So, uh, Ansible, Ansible. And then the company bought another company which had which was using Chef. And then we also bought another company that was using Puppet. So Chef Puppet. Mm. Um, I did dabble a little bit in Salt Stack. Um, yeah. And then of course Terraform. We'll, we'll get to Terraform eventually. Because uh, Terraform is not a traditional configuration man- configuration Correct. management system. Correct. Uh, yeah, Ansible, Chef, Puppet. I think those are the big three. See, big um, for me, the one I know the most is SaltStack. Um, I was heavy into SaltStack. I have even contributed to the project. Yeah. Um, I know enough. I knew I learned enough Puppet to migrate away from Puppet to SaltStack <laughs> at um, at an earlier job. Um, Ansible looks really interesting, but I never got into it. But that's probably the best one to learn since uh, Red Hat owns them now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Uh, and I've yes. done, and I've also done Chef. Um, I hated Chef so much, but I'll I'll talk more about that later. We'll while later. We'll get right into there, right? Uh, yeah, I think let's start. Let's start with our least favorite content tools, and I think. It's either Chef or Puppet for me. Why? Uh, one, Ruby. <laughs> Two, the dependency nightmare. 
that came about because of those things. The Ruby gem dependency nightmare? Yeah. And trying to solve failures when they happen. Um, All you want to do is configure your servers and then you're dealing with the gem the gem dependencies not, not lining up right? Yeah. Our, I think gem dependencies were not so much of an issue per se, but I think the ugliness of like Chef built an entire... Wait, was it... Uh, Chef has its own language, of course. I mean, you have to have it, your own uh, like way of doing things, and and Chef had its own puppet, had its own, uh, and then you had to contend, especially with Chef, contend with uh, client and server uh, interactions. Um, it was, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know if. If it was so bad that I've erased some of those memories from, uh, erased some of those memories, but I think Chef was one we had the most issues, especially when coming from working with Ansible, um, where everything was you were done, you're doing Ansible changes from a single server, and there was no uh, client server with Ansible. Uh, right. Yeah. What about you? A chef, hands down. Um, I have a very deep, fiery hatred for Chef. It goes so deep that I will not take a job that lists Chef. Yeah. If if they use Chef, I just don't. I won't. I can't even. I won't even. I fought it tooth and nail so much. And yes, I get that during major upgrades, during upgrades to different major versions of something, things will change. But in Chef's case, going from 11 to 12, 12 to 13, um, completely breaks all of your recipes. So you have to drop everything you're doing and just spend weeks updating your recipes. And then the next version comes out and you have to do it again. And then you, and then when you try to actually update Chef, it gripes about Ruby being fucked up. So, um, Were you using uh, the server configuration by provided by chef themselves or were you doing your own like um i can't remember what it was like we had uh an chef solo chef. was it the, chef solo the chef server it? and chef solo we were using the traditional chef server right right and did you have to manage anything at the chef um chef.io at all no it was all your own server and client, right? Yeah, it was. Um, I had an inherited a poorly done chef setup, um, and servers. Um, one chef server, multiple clients. Yeah. Um, of course, the chef server was also the 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 the, the uh, box for all for all the developers to test on, because oh, that's fun stuff. It just seems like a, a, a universal rule wherever you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I think the whole idea of Ruby sticks out to me as an not necessarily that implementation because I think Salt was also client server. It was. And I think Salt and Salt Stack did. I think I I never really fully got to use Salt Stack, and I think um, Salt Stack implementation much more cleaner to me. Salt. Salt was elegant. 
Um, maybe not so as so much so as Ansible, but Salt uses a client-server model, but it also uses zero MQ for it, it for its messaging. So talking to 500 servers is about as fast as talking to 10 servers. It's stupid fast. Um, it's all in Python. It handles upgrades very well. Only rarely would I have to change something for, uh, between major major updates. Um, they they did pretty well with Salt. Yeah, I think I mean, it makes me think it's like it's the underlying language that that may have caused the majority of headaches because Ruby has gone through like how many versions now since even when I started like they've gone through like four four versions. Five versions started with one point one dot x, and now they're at five. I don't know if they're at six. Um, whereas Python has, for the most part, its sanity uh, across across the world. For the most, part, yeah. So we have Puppet and Chef. They're both written in Ruby. We have. Ansible, that's that's all in Python, I believe. Um, SaltStack, yeah. that's all in Python. Yeah. CF Engine, I don't even know, never used it. I think I seem to remember CF Engine was also in in Python. CF Engine. So which which one was your favorite? Um, I mean, depends. Do you consider Terraform a configuration management or not? If it is, then it would be Terraform. No, if not, that's, that's that's infrastructure as code. But, oh, I mean, how do you differentiate what is infrastructure as code? Whereas even in Ansible, for example, you have templates, you have books. Chef has recipes. Is Chef... Is also Chef is considered infrastructure as code. Right? Here's um here's the differentiation in my head, um and tell me if you agree or disagree. Um, Chef, Ansible, Puppet, SaltStack, they're both they're both best when the server is already set up and it needs to maintain the stakers. They do their best when you are using servers as pets and not as cattle. Whereas Terraform, Terraform has no has no real good way of specifying install Apache, create these users on on the operating system itself. Um, right, right. I see what you mean. Yeah. So all the other ones, they manage the operating system. They manage the program that's installed. Terraform manages the actual infrastructure before right. the OS boots. So in, I suppose you could say that all the others are infrastructure as code plus configuration management in that case because they have the same capability to launch instances, maintain the state of the whole infrastructure. Like it definitely Ansible could, and I think I'm sure yes. SaltStack could as well. As a matter of fact, I'm sure Chip could. But they're not very good at it. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't built with that in mind. Those those were afterthoughts, kind of bolt-on technology. You mean? Um, are you saying infrastructure as code was a bolt-on technology? For Ansible and SaltStack and Chef, yes, I think so. Because originally they they weren't designed to 
be launching EC2 instances or um, defining things in AWS or Google Cloud or Azure. Sure, sure you can now, but it's um, it's like it's like trying to use a screwdriver to open a Torx wrench or to a it's it's like using a flathead screwdriver to pull out an Allen wrench screw. Sure, you can do it. It it'll work, but it won't work well. Sorry, which uh, which uh, tools did you say fell into that? All the traditional ones: Puppet, Chef, right. Ansible, SaltStack. Whereas Terraform, it has no notion of what's going on inside of the operating system. Correct. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh... Cloud native. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. Cloud native. I, th- I think Terraform... Well, Terraform had AWS as its primary provider, I think. I, I don't know how Terraform started off. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't use it to provision, provision physical hardware. I mean, you could using using, I don't know, Network provisions and other provisions maybe to install software on deployed hardware. Yes, but uh, but even if you could, that would be about as effective as using Chef to. Yeah, prov- it's yeah. I mean, or, or just using Fabric. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <God>. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I, we forgot. Did, isn't does does doesn't Fabric fall in here somewhere as well? It kind of does. Wait, where, where does Fabric fall? Like configuration management light. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I was just—I just landed on uh, open source configuration management software page on the Wikipedia, and it lists about uh, roughly twenty tools here. Ansible, Plano is a configuration management. Huh, okay. Uh, Cdist. I remember right. Cdist. Huh. Chef, CF Engine, ISConf, OCS Inventory. Wow, that's quite a few. Picked, Puppet, Quator, Radmine, Rex, Radmart, Frog, Salt, Spacewalk, Tool. So there's roughly 20. Uh, uh, and Terraform is not listed. Yeah, on this page of comparison of open source configuration management software, uh, Terraform is not even listed. Yeah. So, in that case, I mean, I think Ansible. And, and Ansible primarily because I think it had a very clean language, or at least a clean uh, way to write what do they call books? Um, what what did Ansible have? Playbooks. Not not playbooks. Not, not recipes. Chef had recipes. What did An- Puppet have? Puppet Ansible have is um, Ansible <laughs> is your favorite one. Yeah, Ansible is my favorite one primarily because it was very easy to um, get to learn Ansible. It was it, it's really good for a for a beginner to get on. Which conversely makes it also a very easy configuration management topic to shoot yourself with. Mm. <clears throat> um, it was relatively easily. Um, and yeah, it was relatively easily extensible. Um, and yeah, and I think it had good documentation when I started. Salt stacks. Uh, I think I, I went through Chef's documentation and 
Puppets documentation that was like uh, walking into quicksand. <laughs> well, I, I mean, is it analogy? <clears throat> oh, just like it was. At the same time, I, I, and I, I think I, I thought almost the same about salt sack as well. Um, I couldn't really understand all the different uh, nomenclature uh, for for salt stack. When I was when I was first starting off on it, like it had a lot of different names for a lot of different things, and it got pretty confusing pretty fast. States, pillars, pillars. Uh, I mean, that didn't even make sense. Like, like, <laughs> wait, what is a pillar? A, uh, a pillar of salt. <laughs> oh right, in that sense, right? Okay, I didn't know it was related to actual salt stuff. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, long story short, Ansible, Ansible to write a simple playbook. Can we talk? uh, Can we talk about more more stupid naming? (laughs) Go ahead. Chef. (laughs) The the worst possible SEO because you you search for something in Chef and you you get you get cooking supplies. Cooking supplies. Recipes. Searching for are you searching for a recipe to install Apache? Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. their uh, their their dependency manager Burke Shelf, is called Burke Shelf because of that meme with that um, with that girl saying, "Er my girl, look at my Gersprums books. My Gersprums Burks Burke Shelf." <laughs> That's the whole reason that is named that. Oh god! Oh god! Oh because wait 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 because so Burke Shelf is is uh, is like a. Is a different way of saying bookshelf. Yes, look up. Oh, look up. Um, look up Goosebumps Girl, or Goosebumps oh, right, Girl. Goosebumps Girl. Goosebumps Girl. Meme. Okay. Meme. <coughs> that's why it's named that. Uh, well, I mean, that's. I, I. I suppose it's. I mean, like they say in uh, in, in technology, there are two two things to do. Naming things and uh, uh, off by one end. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, <laughs> I guess Python is named after Monty Python, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, which is which I suppose ended up on the ni- good side of things. What's what differentiates uh, and uh, uh, what differentiates a stupid idea and a, and a fantastic idea? One one other is not. Right. So, in my opinion, uh, those older, those more more traditional tools, Chef, Ansible, SaltStack, Puppet, um, I don't feel like they're really relevant anymore. I'm curious oh, what sure. you think about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, I so so one of the things that comes uh, before we get into that. Uh, we should talk a little bit about imperative style and declaratives. All right. Right. What do you like? I I'm or, afraid or, I don't quite know what imperative I, style I suppose, means. Right. Let's let's talk about that. Right. I think an imperative and imperative and uh, declarative. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> it's a it's a programming paradigm, of course. Um, 
Declarative programming is a programming paradigm that expresses the logic of a computation without describing its control flow. If that makes sense. I'll, I'll, I'll talk, uh, I'll just put the definition in detail. Imperative programming is a programming paradigm that uses statements in your program state. It's not entirely clear how, how one another. But uh, you could talk about, for example, Terraform is declarative. Whereas, um, whereas you could say everything else, like Ans Ansible is imperative. Yes. And primarily the reason being that you would tell, you would tell Terraform using, for example, you would say, I need six of these instances. And that will always be the final state, right? It'll, if those are, there aren't six instances, it will make sure there are six instances once you apply it. If there are four instances, it makes them to six. If there are eight instances, it's bring them back to six. For example, when I'm applying killing group, right? Got it. <clears throat> if you, no, not necessarily on screen, but yeah. But with, uh, with uh, Ansible, there is no way of saying you actually are changing state. Uh, so Terraform, or, or to put it slightly differently, declarative is a way of saying, is a way of uh, telling, I need this end state, take me there. I, I don't care how you do it. Whereas imperative is a way of uh, taking you to that state as part of uh, trying to get, writing the programming to get you to that end state. So you have to know all the details to get to the end state. Whereas Terraform, you tell it how much you want and that's where you get, that's how you get it. That's kind of the, I'm not sure I'm giving a good explanation. Does that make sense to start with? I think so. So here's this, this page here. Declarative programming is like asking your friend to draw a landscape. You don't care how they draw it, it's up to them. Imperative programming is like your friend listening to Bob Ross tell them how to paint a landscape. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an entire process. Of, one is telling, taking you through the entire process, whereas one is like, I want this, just get me there. I don't care how you get it. Right. Um, so <coughs> with um, Chef or Ansible, you have to tell it, um, you have to tell it, install the web server, uh, set up the user that will be running as that web server, set the permissions uh, properly on these files and folders. Um, guess they do some abstraction so you don't have to worry about which package manager that you're using. Um, yeah. But you still have to do a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and that's a contrast. And, the, and the, there's another, another thing that I want to introduce, and that is immutability. Right. Right. Um, with things like Terraform, I think the idea that it's, it's, Immutable. Uh, a lot of the it you it takes advantage of the immutability of the infrastructure. So, for example, we we build an AMI, and we are always going to use that AMI. Whereas, for example, if you're using Chef or or Ansible or something else, you would uh, modify that AMI. You would deploy an AMI and then do those modifications on an install server and right. so on and so forth. To date. Whereas Terraform doesn't concern itself with any of So you uh, do it while it's live. You continue to make up changes to the existing configuration in the more traditional configuration system. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that I, makes sense. Yeah. I think, and and I think the whole idea of immutability 
like and and that's even more so true when we move to containers so yeah. it takes advantage of like you, you there you, you can't modify a container and, and so it makes the entire process a very uh puts you in a very determinate state uh at much, the end of all of this and it's much, much more cleaner yeah <clears throat> cleaner consistent more more certain of what the outcome will be uh, as opposed to where you are constantly modifying state uh, to get to where you are uh, so immutability and imperative uh, and declarative and that's what i like a lot about terraform and of course i and i'm sure cloud formation comes to the picture as well as iac right and right. immutable um immutable versus uh, versus mutable um comes also comes down to uh, cattle versus pets when you use when you have servers as pets you want them to stay up and you would be concerned if any of them went down right uh, yeah it, it would take you effort to to replace that pet yeah you care about your pet whereas yeah. cattle they're up for the slaughter just kill it replace it with a new one rinse and repeat um, yeah. servers as cattle you don't care if the server goes down because um in in the case of docker containers a, a container can go down a new one just spins back up and takes its place or same with uh same with with virtual machines when they're properly set up using auto scaling groups yeah i mean I, um so so all of this i think moving to like these type of immutable and declarative style configuration management tools or infrastructure as code tools is helping us build better systems that are more resilient as opposed to building systems on broke uh, which which feels like broken tools <laughs> <laughs> which uh, we, uh so it's it's like using kind of broken tools to build broken systems which then we use the same tools to fix those bro- broken systems and it's it's okay i think it's <clears throat> yeah i mean I, i think it's definitely a different style of doing is it better like like using terraform or cloud formation i think it's better i think this is a better way i don't know what it is right now um but i think at least with both both with respect to terraform and cloud formation um <clears throat> where you use templates and use uh where you're not tinkering with the insides of a black box like a uh and you're making sure that your black box is built well uh and built to be resilient which means it's just it's just making the whole ecosystem much stable better or worse Obviously, is better or worse <clears throat> is entirely subjective um i honestly don't like any of them um, you mean uh you mean uh, are you talking also talking about terraform and cloud formation also yep i don't i don't like oh, yeah. I, i don't like either of them i don't like any of the configuration management systems um i agree that I have my own opinions about which which ones are better than others, but I feel like they are all deeply flawed. Um and I I think I would only be able to say that one is good if you are able to operate it without increasing the amount of time it would take you to manually set something up. So, I could manually spin up one server to do a specific thing 
uh, in an eighth of the time I can do it in Terraform. But you make that time back up when you have to do it over and over and over and over again and at scale. Yeah. But it would be nice if the configuration management systems were easier to get into, easier to maintain, easier to keep from becoming an unwieldy, god-awful mess. I think yeah, it's going to take some time to get there. I think. Uh, well, I, it, it's it's. I mean, sorry. I, I don't. I don't know if we'll ever get there. Primarily because lots of different paradigms are, lots of different technologies are in constant flux. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we. I mean, we've not. What we've not even touched the configuration management tools that are used in like Kubernetes, for example. Like you would consider Helm a configuration management tool, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, that's more like a more like an app store for a package manager. Yeah, it's it's more like a package manager for for, for Kubernetes. We haven't talked about CDK either. I think CDK comes much closer to the infrastructure as code. Because it generates uh, cloud formation templates. Yeah, but it's abstracted away, right? But at the same time, you're writing code, actual code, to get your things done. Um, like like using like regular Python code or using, and you're not you're not you don't have your own DSL, like as for example. Right. You're not restricted to a a, a specific style. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think CDK has potential, uh, especially because I mean, you know, you know, you know, our issue with Terraform, it's uh, it it has a lot of the fe- it has a lot of good features, but then everything else is kind of a hack, right? Right. Uh, when we have to get some things going with it, whereas when you or it's the same with cloud formation. Like for example, you can't do certain programming stuff within cloud formation. No conditional stepping, for example, or no looping on counts, for example. But you can do those with CD. I'm, I'm guessing you can do those with this. That's because it's uh, you're writing in Python or TypeScript or whatever else. Right. Yep. Right. And but then uh, while while we while we while we were just talking about like wait. So something like Fabric then, but I think Fabric is more closer to Ansible than IAC. Right, and you write your own Python, um, your own Python in Fabric to do things, but um, Fabric doesn't have things like um, abstraction for which package manager that you're using. For example, you can right. say yeah. install a thing and have it just choose the right package manager. Right, right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's been such a long time having used Ansible. I wonder um, how it has changed. During the last job search before I started working with you, I can tell you that one thing I was looking for is if they were using configuration management systems. And I believe that we are now at the point where with things like Terraform and or CloudFormation and Docker files and um, with everything being declarative and immutable, if a job description 
required the use of any of the traditional tools, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, um, Salt Stack, I immediately assumed there was something very wrong with their infrastructure. <laughs> Wait, say that again, repeat that again, so just so I, I know which, uh, which tools in there did you mention Terraform so, there? Yes, so um, take for example, you see a job description, hey, we're, we're, we're using Kubernetes or ECS, we are containerizing everything, but we also use Ansible or Chef. Um, I'm going to assume there's, there's something wrong. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, so, so. So this is in the context of Kubernetes or ECS. I mean, in, I, let's in the context of what should be a declarative, immutable infrastructure. Right. If yeah. you're using CloudFormation and Terraform, what and and Docker, why are you using Ansible? Why are you using Chef? <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah. I I remember last time at my previous place, we were in the early stage of trying to do uh, a rancher setup. And and the whole rancher setup was being done via uh, Ansible. Mm. I mean, yeah, I I I want to say that may have been a good idea for an initial setup, but there's no way to sustain that setup. Uh, rancher is setup and functioning plus is... rancher supports cloud in it so. yeah yeah so i mean yeah i mean it's just, yeah it's um it's it's gonna take a while and i think it's 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 primarily because people have been comfortable with those ways of doing things like today you can do a lot of these things like i mean we are i think we are way far ahead in terms of uh Unfortunately, we are far ahead in terms of how we set up our, our infrastructure using Terraform and CloudFormation. You may disagree that they're not the best tools, but um, I think they are good for where we are right now. They're not necessarily good for the future. Uh, uh, but I think most other places don't have the luxury of being small and be nimble enough to move quickly enough to switch to another set of tools and software. I, right. I, I, I both think it, I think it's possible if you have, a, but at the same time, I mean, at my previous place, it was Ansible and I don't think they have, and they had like 4,000 servers. Ansible was already croaking at 4,000 servers. Hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe SaltStack could have been better, but like, uh, Ans yeah, Ansible was falling up. Uh, <laughs> try updating the Java version using Ansible on Photon and uh, tracking state of each of those that are <clears throat> right, right, and then doing that again in four months. <laughs> um, would we consider Cloud Init and AWS Systems Manager to be configuration management systems? I mean, I think they are right. I mean, I. In some ways, I think systems manager can do a lot of things what like uh, Ansible can do. Like systems manager lets you shell into a system. Uh, systems manager will let you run 
on systems that support that that have support to support. So in some ways, I think systems manager is is like a configuration management tool. Uh, considering AWS all supports Chef, they call it something else, right? Opsworks. Oh yeah, yeah Opsworks. Um, but cloud yeah. cloud init only sets the initial state. Yeah, cloud. I, I, yeah, cloud init. Uh, cloud init is not configuration manager. I think it's more like an initial Kickstarter thing. Hmm. Right. It does a one-time setup. That's it. But doesn't cloud in it repeat every time the server reboots? No. No, it doesn't? No. It's it's only at the setup of the server? I think so. I'm not sure of that. Um, and systems, systems Manager doesn't really manage the state of the server. You can run specific commands, you can run scripts, but say, for example, um, I want uh, this this program to always be running. If that program stops running, it won't go and start it back up, whereas traditional configuration management systems do do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes. I mean, you can potentially use systems manager to do like stuff like uh, ansible on a regular schedule as well i think so i mean so it is more like ansible and less like less like puppet where puppet basically makes sure that each client stays in sync automatically right whereas systems manager uh, is more like ad hoc i can uh, with ansible i can apply a, a, a playbook only to a certain systems or one system and same with systems manager so systems manager is close to i would say like ansible uh, what what did did salt client and server have a mechanism to automatically always be at a predefined state yes like puppet would yes the salt min- chef the that. salt minion no oh, right right yeah but always make sure that even if you put Java 1.8, for example, if, but if the state says 1.6, hmm. it will automatically update into 1.6. Yep. They were all like that. Was Chef also like that? Yep. Um, I think that was that was a that was a good that's a good thing. But moving to immutable containers is the way. Containers is the way. Immutable servers and immutable containers. Yeah, forget sources. Put everything well, there's, there's, there's still a server somewhere in the background. <laughs> there is, yes. And, <laughs> and sometimes you, sometimes you still need to run a server. And if you do, best make it be just a pre-stamped AMI. Yeah. Did we tie? Yeah. What do you think? Sorry. I think that's about all I have on the topic. Yeah, I think we covered a good, uh, good uh, set of things. Um, configuration management. Uh, I'm glad I'm not doing any of that stuff anymore. At all. Me too. I I, mean, I don't understand why people continue to do that kind of stuff. I guess legacy systems that they just can't quite get away from. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. I mean, I just for a brief moment, I was I was also thinking about tools like Helm. They come. I mean, they're not. They're package managers, but they also do. Do they also maintain a lot of like 
um, harmony nodes and whatnot. That's not in in Helm, is it? That, I thought that was in Helm. Uh, yeah, I think you can specify how many, at least how many pods. Yeah, I, I don't know if how 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 much more it does, but yeah. Anything you put into a Kubernetes YAML file, you can put into Helm. Oh yeah, then I mean. But Helm. Yeah. So. Helm is yeah. scary, though. Helm yeah. is scary because <laughs> scary. Yeah. Of, of the way that it fails. For example, um, I was using it uh, Univision. Sometimes it just wouldn't see updates. You would make an update, yeah. and it just would say, nope, I don't see that. You would update your your config map in Helm. It would not notice the update until you deleted the entire config map and then let Helm re-add it. Yeah, I think I, I noticed that when I was briefly testing out Helm and Kubernetes at, uh, on, on Azure, I remember seeing some of those issues where I had to constantly up- apply Helm and it would still not see the changes that I had to make. It's only a matter of time before something like that happens that's critical in production that you have to delete and re-add it because you're using Helm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really trust Helm. I think... Uh, I wonder what the next stage is uh, in terms of like what's the next evolution configuration be. Hmm. Perhaps something, perhaps something we can think about and maybe talk about in our in our future episodes. Um. So, are we going to have a a guest on next time? If the guest, if if a guest is willing to join us at the time we choose, <laughs> yeah, I think think that's yeah. Um, we should try and see if we can, yeah, we can. We, we should try and see if we can get a get guest on who's who's willing to come and join us and have a chat about stuff. Cool, cool. Well, um, I think I'm gonna go so that way uh, my girlfriend doesn't have to tiptoe around the the apartment <laughs> anymore. Yeah, and I have, yeah. Oh, likewise. Elicia says hi. By the way, <clears throat> hi back. Yes. And also, uh, please tell Kelly I said hello. Will do. I will. Um, so, I guess uh, typical outro stuff. Um, we are now on um, Apple Podcast. Uh, just search for Conway is Con. You might have to include the apostrophe. Um, yes. If you want to, if anybody wants to contact us, we're at Conway's Con Podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Spotify, but our logo is a black box. Um, <laughs> I need to fix that. Um, uh, and we'll use one of our configuration management tools. And soon you should be able to find us in regular podcatchers as well, like um, like Pocket Cast and uh, Stitcher. So, and we're on Podbean also, obviously. Yes, yes, we're hosted on Podbean. I think it's. Um, let me get the actual Podbean address. Conway's Con. Conway'sCon.podbean.com. Conway's Con Nope. Uh, Conway's Con.podbean.com. Oh, Conway's Con.podbean.com. Awesome. We tried oh. we tried right. to get we, we we tried to get Conway's Con at gmail.com, but it was taken, so we had to do Conway's Con podcast at gmail.com. That's one actually Right. There are no original ideas. <laughs> um, 
All right, Chris. Great talking. Great doing this in once more. Uh, Likewise. Let's see if we can uh, do it sooner than two months this time. Yes, absolutely. Until next time. Yep. Good night, Sid. Good night, Chris.